And we're live. Welcome back to the future of. I am your host, Jonathan Narvi. And today I have a special guest, Shani Kotecha, who I will be speaking with about the future of global citizens. But before I do that, before we get started, Shani, who are you? How do we know each other? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so I obviously now work for my male PR, um, but I've only been in Canada for about six months. And before that, I've been moving country every two, three, four, five years. So a bit of everything. And that would make you exactly the perfect person to be talking about this topic. So I'm very much looking forward to it. And actually, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more about you because um, while we've been working closely together these last few months at uh, our PR agency, you know, we keep things all business all the time. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel like sometimes I barely know you. Um, now, I'm probably exaggerating a little. Um, it's true to an extent, um, but given your history of moving around and your, your family history, and uh, I suppose we can interject my own family history, we've got some perspective on this topic of global citizens. Um, before we um, get into the stories and, and uh, the book that you recently read, um, a, a quick uh, definition. What, in your opinion, is a global citizen? Mm. So I feel like it's becoming a lot easier now to be a global citizen, especially because everyone's online and you can take your work anywhere, right? Mm. So no one's in offices, everyone's remote, or not everyone. Um, for me, as a third culture kid, if you've grown up moving or spent you know, a, a solid few years in different places that are outside your home culture, then you're kind of approaching global citizen status. And I think whereas before people were born in one place, spent their life there, you know, bought a house down the street from their family. Now, you know, you can do working holiday visas, which is what I'm doing. You can travel for long periods of time. You can work in one country and live in another. So there's a lot of different ways you can define it. But I think having those different geographical bases is a big part of it. So I find it a little bit ironic that we're having this conversation right now uh, in that, um, yes, people can, well, sort of still travel around all, uh, almost as freely as they, as they once did. But once you get to where you're going, you're stuck in place. Uh, so we're recording this during the COVID-19 pandemic, and uh, you're currently in the middle of isolation or what's called <laughs> quarantine. Quarantine. Halfway through. Yes. So um, this is an auspicious time to be recording um, about global citizens and uh, third culture kids. Um, this is another thing that needs defining. What is a third culture kid? So a third culture kid, which is what I am, which is why my accent is terrible. Um, so it's someone supposedly who's lived in two or more countries that are outside of their um, parents' passport countries. So for me, I was born in England, but I've spent just under half my life in other countries. And most of it was before the age of 18. 
So that that's a pretty unusual experience. I mean, not uh, completely uh, uncommon, but I guess the, the question for you is, what have you learned? How do you think you you are? Well, yeah. Let's let's narrow this down. How has this changed you? <laughs> it's hard to um. I think about that sometimes. I'm like, if I grew up in one place, how different would I be? Because I moved when I was six, so still quite young, still in kind of like a childhood development stage. Um. And I mean, there's definitely good and bad. So for the good, I think more kind of adaptable, more open-minded um, because you're constantly having to make new friends and understand new cultures. You have to have a certain level of confidence after a while. So I've had people say to me now that, oh, you're quite confident. And where does that come from? I'm like, I think it was just, I, I don't think you have a choice when you move that often, because if you're not, if you're not willing to approach new people and be that open, then you're not going to end up settling into a place. So in terms of what I learned in the, the kind of good part, that would be it. Um, but then there's also, I think what I've learned is the downside is, is you don't really grow up having a home or an identity or if you have an identity, but it's very confusing. Um, and I think when you go back to your home country or where your family's from or where your base is from, you kind of learn also, you know, what have you missed out on? What have you gained? And how do different experiences balance out? This is interesting. I mean, this hits on a number of really big topics. Um, I mean, citizenship in general is, you know, we're, we're talking about um, ideas of having a home, being used to certain cultural habits, uh, even in a place like Canada, which, you know, a lot of, uh, I, I feel like a lot of Europeans have a sort of a, or, or a lot of people even outside North America kind of think it's, this is a place where anything goes. Uh, you know, it's feel like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a um, you know your your country is so new. It's like it's uh, you know just do whatever you want. Um, which you know, as a as a Canadian, I'm like, no, that's 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 not at all uh, how things are. I mean, you plunk down human beings into a place, into anywhere in the world, it doesn't take hundreds of years. It takes not long at all for certain habits and traditions uh, to build up. So certainly there is in Canada is an unusual place in the in that um, you know you're from the UK. Uh, Canada is um, you know obviously was was very much an outgrowth of the British Empire and of course the the French Empire, um, and uh, they they came together as one unit, uh, not always peacefully. Um, and of course we have the, the combination of, uh, you know, the first nations here. Um, but, you know, because of those different cultures coming together, you know, that happened so long ago, it's not like you're from nowhere if you're in Canada, yeah. like that you're, you're, you're taking from that tradition. And so as a Canadian, as a, like when I've gone traveling, 
in, in uh, different places, Europe and in, uh, in Asia. I, I've spent some time in Korea and in Japan, uh, mostly Korea teaching English. Um, so you, you do get a sense of how things are different. I think with you, you would have gotten that sense because you got it so early on in your life that would have uh, fundamentally changed how you view the world. Yeah, it's interesting you say that about Canada. A lot of people that I've met here, I mean, most Canadians I know, one, you can tell by their last name kind of where they were from. Um, and I mean, I know one lady living, you know, up on the Sunshine Coast and she's, she's a talent, well, Canadian, but her met her parents and they were first generation Italian. So yeah, she was Canadian but she'd be making her own pasta and her own pizza and she would teach her daughter the Italian words for things, which I thought was interesting because she is Canadian, but there's still a grasp on whatever culture they've come from. Mm -hmm. um, can you think of an, an example of where you have been maybe surprised? Uh, like you, you, you say that, you know, given this background of uh, being a, a third culture kid that, um, you know, you're, you're, you're more open-minded about and maybe adaptable about different uh, cultural habits. Um, so do you see everyone around you as being sort of sticks in the mud or? <laughs> <laughs> no, not necessarily. Maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's not the best way of, putting it. It's not that everyone else is close-minded. Um, I think it's so something I was thinking about recently. In um, So in my university course, I would say it was about 80% predominantly Caucasian English and the rest were kind of like British but heritage from elsewhere, foreign students, things like that. And you could kind of see that they clustered in those two groups, whether or not it was intentional and whether or not all the international students were from the same place, they still naturally came together like that. And I think the more you move, the more you kind of relate to those people, the more you want to know about other, not that if you've been in one place, you don't want to know about people's cultures, but you almost, you know, instinctively gravitate towards what you know. So for me, that's always been other people's cultures. I've always been, you know, had a friend group of 10 people where every single person was from a different country. So automatically, you know, even now when I'm in a new country, I don't just want to be friends with one type of person or understand one type of things. You're naturally more curious about a larger scale. You know, it's interesting that reminded me of, um, well, my wife, who's from Hong Kong, uh, her family came over here when she was 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. And um, she saw that, uh, you know, at the time there was a lot of immigration from Hong Kong. And so she saw these enclaves and cliques forming of, um, you know, Cantonese speaking um, uh, Hong Kong Chinese immigrants. And um, uh, she had an in instinctive um, reaction of, well, 
it looks like we're here for the long haul. So if I join this clique, my language skills are not going to improve fast enough. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get a sense of, of the local culture. So she just went fully the other way. Um, uh, from what I understand, it, it, I mean, she, you know, if, I, I don't think she would have avoided making friends with other Hong Kongers who came here, but uh, she, she consciously, from what I understand, she consciously expanded her social group and joined every school club there was. Um, she became a, the biggest hockey fan <laughs> in Canada. Um, to this day, uh, she will uh, shout and cheer at the TV screen uh, when someone scores or when there's a penalty or like she is just like fully on board. Um, and that, that was part of the, the process. So, um, I, I, but that, I mean, I, I guess that's a, that's a two culture, maybe it's a three culture thing because Hong Kong is an unusual place. It's got that mix yeah. of, uh, yeah. you know, chi Chinese, uh, uh, culture and of course British culture and then coming to Vancouver, yeah. different thing. It's similar cause my mom's, so my mom's Indian of origin, mm -hmm. but born in Uganda. Um, and then they moved to England kind of early teens when there was the whole Idi Amin fiasco. And she's similar in a way that I think she loves English culture, like scones and tea and the royal family and any of that kind of stuff. She gets really, really into it. Um, so maybe that's, a, maybe that's a commonality of coming at that kind of age to another place because she just fully embraced it. I think... I did ask her the other day, like, do you miss anything about East Africa? And they've definitely brought some of that culture here with them. So in, not here, but, you know, in terms of food and, you know, certain words in the language. But on the whole, I think she just fully embraced being in England. Well, I, I, I'm sure that had something to do as well with the nature of, uh, you know, their departure from Uganda. Yeah. Like, do you mean, it wasn't exactly, hey, if you want to leave, leave. <laughs> Uh, like he, that guy, he was a psychopath. So, um, you know, I, I can imagine, you know, Jews, uh, leaving Germany in the thirties, if you'd ask them, Hey, so what do you remember about your childhood? It's like, I don't, you know what, I'm not going <laughs> to talk about it. And, uh, yeah, we basically kept 0% of that <laughs> culture. Uh, those guys are jerks. Um, um, yeah, maybe, can you tell us, yeah, tell me, provide a little bit more background on your personal experience of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, where you've moved around and, and uh, what you've picked up. Yeah, so, so both of my parents were born in East Africa mm -hmm. and came to England. Um, mm -hmm. And then we lived in Manchester, so in Northern England for about six years. And then my mum's job took us to New Delhi. So we went to an American school there. And I think my accent changed instantly. And I spent the first two years getting told off for spelling everything wrong because I went from an English system to an American system. So that was fun. Um, and then we went back to London for two years. So again, accent, spelling, the usual. Um, and then to Ghana for four years and we went to an American school there. We really flip-flopped between the two school systems. Um, and then the final two years we did in Jordan in the Middle East. So that was a British school. 
So again, we flip-flop between the two school systems. Um, and it kind of ranged from like living in compounds to living in an apartment in the city. And then of course, the age you are dictates also how much you integrate with the culture. So when I was in Jordan, I think I had a lot more friends from Jordan or Palestinians. Whereas in India, we were in a huge compound and we were kids going to an American school. So you kind of just socialize with what's in front of you rather than going outside the bubble. Um, and then Ghana was like a sort of in between, you know, you had the, we in, I kind of integrated a little, but again, we still had a big expat community and a big school. So there's almost a few different cultures at play because my parents are Indian, but British. Then you've got American schools, which is a whole host of other cultures and nationalities. And then you've got the host culture. And then on top of that, we used to go back to England for like two, three months every year. So that is more confusing than helpful at times. Maybe you can talk about the challenge of having to adapt as a third culture kid. So uh, I'll give you my own uh, example, which isn't fully analogous. But um, when I was um, teaching in Korea, uh, I went through almost stereotypically the, the various stages of culture shock. Mm -hmm. where you know at first I'm looking around and you know everything is uh, any difference I can pick out instantly I'm thinking in my head and not saying aloud in Canada it's better it's and uh, it's like why do they do it this way this is crazy um, you know they even things like well that there were genuinely some weird things like no street signs in the big cities like this is like that's it's kind of hard to get around um so you know and, and then it's like oh why is the food why is all this food um uh burning the hell out of my mouth like how, how they survived and, and and you know anyway so at first because of culture shock everything is like what the hell why does this place exist and then you you know you, you gradually get to a stage where you go completely the other way. And it's mm -hmm. like, everything is delicious here. The people are so friendly. I, why aren't Canadians like this? This is, you know, the way they do this this way. Why didn't we think of this? This is, uh, oh my God, they're so advanced. This is, um, and then gradually you get to a space where, um, you know, you, you've seen the good, you've seen the bad and it's like, oh, these people are human beings. There's good. Yeah. There's stuff that needs to be improved. <laughs> and uh, I'm just going to stop being so judgmental and just sort of experience. <laughs> yeah, I think that kind of happens like over time as almost as one big move. Because I remember when we got to Ghana, hmm. the biggest culture shock. I think I spent two months crying and going to the school nurse being like, I don't feel well. And just I was fine. Um, but I remember when we made the move to Jordan, I had this weird like Zen for the first two months. I was just like, just move in, just unpack, just like, don't even think. Like, it was just sort of a, I know there's culture shock, so I'm just gonna accept it and not make a big deal because it'll go away. Um, I think the funniest challenge that we had was the food. So especially in Ghana, we were used to kind of, 
nice cheese and crisps, sort of chips and, you know, chocolates and different things. So, and you didn't get a lot of that there. So when anyone used to visit us, we'd ask for strawberries, blueberries, potatoes, because we needed better potatoes, oranges, cheese, bacon. So our, we had these two big chest freezers full of really normal food that we just, you know, we were treating ourselves by having potatoes. It was just amazing. Um, but no, I think the, the other, I mean, the bigger challenge was always just settling in, you know, leaving friends, making friends. Uh, I think when we were little and we got to Delhi, the school there, I mean, the school we went to there is now one of the top 10 international schools. So they, they do an amazing job at, you know, integrating everyone and, keeping it running smoothly I think they understand the experience a lot more um but say in Jordan it was a good school but I don't think they had as many international students so the kind of process of being like right this is culture shock this is you know this is how we're going to integrate you into the school and community that wasn't there which means you have to do it yourself which you know as a 16 year old that doesn't really understand you know the psychological effect you're just like what's going on like what why am i feeling like this um and i think it does differ from person to person as well so i've got an older brother who's incredibly chilled out and it doesn't phase him at all and then you've got me who was like what's going on where am i so it differs from person to person what the challenges are as well Hmm, that's interesting. Um, it, it, so this, I, I think we've prepared the ground enough that I wanted to get into, like we, we've talked about present circumstances and, and, and the past examples of actually being a global citizen, but this is about the future of uh, global citizens. And, um, you know, obviously the world has gone through some weirdness lately and not just in, in the recent past, not just with COVID. There's been obviously a move in certain countries to get, uh, I don't wanna say more isolationist, but um, even um, within the last few years, if someone used the expression global citizen, there is a sense to understand that term which is essentially elitist, uh, someone who has the money and resources to go around the world. If you're working class, um, you're not a global citizen. You're stuck in place and you're, you're doing your job. Hopefully you still have one, uh, given the, the, where the economy is at. And so, you know, this, this, the age of the global citizen, um, is it, it's a completely modern phenomenon almost like it, it's it's it was such a rare thing you had to be independently wealthy to travel uh not too long ago and uh these days if you've made good sums uh or or can work as uh let's say a, a coder a developer for um well a tech company or really any company you can work almost anywhere there's a lot of roles like marketing and PR, you could do from a lot of different places. Um, yeah. But um, the borders seem to be hardening. So I, I don't know if we're talking about the future of global citizens, 
you know, did we sort of reach the apex um, uh, before COVID? And uh, it's sort of, it's not going to go away, but it's going to be less of a, a thing to be a world traveling person with, you know, who benefits from different cultures. I think there's, so there's different ways of being a global citizen that kind of changes that. So the book I'm reading about third culture kids at the moment has a lot of anecdotes from third culture kids who are now 40, 50 years old because their parents were missionaries or they were army brats, as they call them. So it wasn't that it didn't exist before now. It's just that it was a different kind of third culture kid, I think. Um, so, you know, my family's not particularly you know, they're not like filthy rich. It was just because of my mom's job that we were abroad. And you have a lot of support with the schooling and accommodation. So it's, it's probably actually cheaper than being at home. And I think now what I've seen a lot of is one, you know, you don't need to work in the same country or building as your company, which doesn't mean necessarily moving somewhere else, but there's a lot of countries that say, hey, we'll give you a visa for six months if you come and live here, not work here. Your job could be anywhere else. But there's a lot of European countries that are actually giving out that type of visa. Visa. I think the Bahamas or somewhere is doing it too, actually, where they're just like, yeah, come spend a year on the beach working. It's fine. You, you'll kind of be on holiday at the same time. So I think it, it'll adapt. Um, but at the same time, if your parents work for like, the UN or a country's government or USAID, Oxfam, any of those type of companies that send people abroad, that will still continue because it's it's not, the borders hardening has no impact on that, I think. Mm. Because, mm. you know, they'll still need you to go abroad. You're not having to get in yourself. There's a rich, or not rich, but there's a larger corporation that's kind of getting you in there. So that's not you to worry about you just apply for the job and go was there a particular story that um stuck out to you in the um in the book you're reading sorry who's the author do you happen to have the book handy uh i don't have it off the top of my head it's mm -hmm. called third culture kids i think it's the experience of growing up or something like that it's the third edition of a book so they've been i think the first edition came out 20 years ago and then they've been adding on anecdotes and new research that's gone on. So was there a particular story in there where you thought, this is me? And and uh, maybe another story that you thought, that was very different? <laughs> um, one that I found particularly weird, but almost a little bit sad. Uh, there were three kids, and obviously with their family, I think they were living somewhere out in East or Southern Africa. And they'd been living there since they were like eight, nine years old. You know, their parents were like, yeah, yeah, we want to integrate you. Here's, a, here's some of our American culture to, you know, make you feel a bit more American. But ultimately they'd grown up in this country. So they got back to the US and the kids all had their suitcases. They were all getting them off the kind of little carousel. The parents walked off ahead um, and they could hear like a couple people sort of laughing and, you know, a bit of, bit of noise around them. They turned around and all three kids had their suitcases on top of their heads walking in a line because that's just the only thing they had seen in terms of how people carry large pieces of luggage or bags. 
Um, and it's kind of funny, but I also feel for those kids because they're about to enter a culture where they're going to be laughed at a little bit, but for not knowing any better. Thankfully, that never happened to me. <laughs> Nothing like that ever happened. Um, but there was another story about a girl who was a third culture kid, obviously as an adult now. And it was just a random anecdote from her life. It wasn't about moving, but obviously she grew up moving and she went to a theater one day just to watch a show on her own. And the lady next to us started talking to her, just being really, really overly friendly. And she was like, oh my God, who is this person? Um, and it turned out that the lady next to her had also been a third culture kid. She was 20 years older, but they started connecting and became like lifelong friends because they had that shared experience. And I do find that now, if I meet someone who's grown up as a third culture kid or as an expat or kind of relates to that experience in some way, there's, there's weirdly shared ground, you know, even if you've lived in different countries and it's not been exactly the same, there's a sort of bond that exists. It's almost like a little culture within itself. So instead of being from a country, you're from an experience. So it's, it's certainly possible to, you know, come to love and get rooted within a culture that, that you like once, you know, once you've found a place. I mean, I'm not saying that you will necessarily stick around uh, in these parts forever, but um, I, I, I gather there's that push and pull of, uh, you know, you can be, uh, find yourself very comfortable in, in a place, but it's at, at some point, you do want to connect with others like yourself who are traveling and I guess you have to keep on the move to sort of uh, maintain <laughs> that kind of a feeling and those kinds of relationships. I don't know. So that's, I mean, coming to Canada was part of exploring that for me because I had been back for about five years and I think I just got itchy feet. I was like, I've been here for too long now. Like that's almost the longest I've lived in one place. I need to go somewhere. So there is that kind of compulsion. Um, but at the same time, you know, having spent five years back in London and then coming out here, you do at a certain point recognize the benefit of being in a home around family and in that kind of surrounding. So I think it probably differs for different people. Cause I know, I mean, I know plenty of third culture kids or friends from school that have carried on traveling. And then I know plenty that have gone back home or to their home country, at least it might not even be the same city. Um, and then there's a sort of reverse culture shock that you get in your own home country. So that, I mean, that is one reason I think people carry on moving because, you know, you go back to your home country, but part of, I mean, one thing the book talked about is that when you're in a different country, you're a foreigner. You can say, oh, I'm, you know, when I was in Jordan, I'd say, oh, I'm from London. I didn't feel necessarily connected to London, but it's an identity that you have in that country. You are the foreigner, so people treat you like a foreigner in a, in a good way, right? They'll explain the culture and different things. When I'm in London, I'm not a foreigner, but I'm not from there. So I think that is why people often keep moving because the identity of a foreigner is something that you've grown up with. Whereas when you're back in your home, home country, 
you, your place isn't as easy. They'll treat you as a local because you look like a local or you sound like a local, but that doesn't mean you think and have the same experiences. So. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I'm wondering, can, can you give me an example of reverse culture shock? Something that happened to you? No. Oh, yeah. Um, so when I, this maybe is not reverse culture shock, but um, when I lived in Jordan, I got very used to saying marhaba and shukran. So marhaba is hello, shukran is thank you. And the number of times, so I got back to London, and the number of times I would get off a bus or walk out of a store and be like, oh, shukran, because you're just so used to, you know, not even forcing that language, but I've become so used to making a special effort to being like, no, I am going to speak in Arabic because, you know, I'm fitting in here. And then I got back to London and I, the opposite. Um, but coming back to England, I think a big thing was just, there's so much, there's so much stuff and it's also organized because, I mean, if you've been to a lot of countries in Asia, it's organized chaos especially when it comes to like traffic and markets and I don't know. There is a system, but it's, you know, it's not obvious. And I think when I got back to England, I was like, oh my God, all the traffic lights work and there's zebra crossings and it's just, it's too easy. Like, it, why is it so easy? I don't have to navigate this. Everyone speaks English. Um, so you get used to the adventure of a challenge that that's a fun part and that's kind of Canada's a sort of in between for me because it's foreign and there's things to navigate but in some ways it's very close to England so this is this is definitely a new experience for me I mean they're all new but this is this is like a whole different brand hmm. um, you think of old globes and old maps maps of discovery with um, places that were um, you know, they, they would just be blacked out because, or, or there would be imaginary um, uh, territories drawn, here be dragons. Um, I, I, just tying into what you just said, um, I, I gather that, I think that it's, you know, even in places where it's organized chaos, as you say, there, there there's, some kind of a system there that you can learn. Um, mm -hmm. I, I guess you know the, the world has grown into a place where there are fewer and fewer, it seems to me, uh, places that um, you know are dangerous for you to, for you to travel. Not that not that you know you you're an adrenaline junkie or anything like that. Um, but I'm thinking someone who was you know, looking to have a genuine adventure in the sense of, you know, someone who would do that 100 or 200 years ago. Um, I, there are certain, certainly places you can go to where you will almost certainly die. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, there, there, there are, I feel like, fewer middle ground places where it's like, you could die, but you could have an amazing time. Um, I don't know if you have any any thoughts on um, sort of the the relative safety or danger of uh, someone who wants to uh, travel or or take their kids 
to um, to other countries to to give them a different experience or follow you know generally follow opportunities and the experience mm -hmm. sort of comes naturally. I think places are often perceived to be more dangerous than they are. So, you know, even after living in Canada and England and everywhere else, I think Ghana was still the safest country I've ever lived in, which I think would surprise some people just because of stereotypes and assumptions. Um, and the same in Jordan, actually. We had a lot of people saying to us while we were there during the whole kind of Syrian refugee crisis and everything that was going on, people saying like, oh my God, but it's so dangerous and all the countries around, you know, and I was like, no, but you don't see it in Jordan. It's, you know, although the news portrays the whole region as a danger zone, Jordan was kind of fine you know you did see the effects of the refugee crisis there were a lot of refugees coming into the city they had a lot of refugee camps around the border but i think a lot of places the number of places that you know you're like you will die here i think that's like less than 20 and a lot of the times you wouldn't be allowed in any way just like that right and there would be restrictions in place Right. Um, so, but yeah, most places, I mean, I think every country and every city still has, you know, don't go to that area on your own, especially as a girl. So there were areas in Amman, in Jordan, where I was told not to go alone as a girl. Um, but most of the time we were totally fine. More so. Yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah, I think where I was going with that was just that there are more and more places or at least until COVID, there were more and more places you could easily go to be a global citizen. Um, and mm. but I, I keep thinking about this phenomenon in in the case in, in the sense of you know an individual alone traveler. This may be um, as a guy with no kids. I sort of view you know I have a view of you know my own sense of self is I could pick up and just go anywhere. Um, yeah. Of course, that's not true at all. Um, but um, I mean, physically true. But you know, you have certain obligations to people. Um, mm. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard people say that, and I'm like, we've moved enough times. Those obligations can be picked up later. It's fine. Mm, that's a that's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> um, so I, oh, I. I I'm trying to remember my next point. You, you, I, I, oh, I, I did find a book. Maybe this is the one. Is it? Is it Third Culture Kids Growing Up Among Worlds uh, by Ruth E. Van Reckon? Yes. Okay. And David C. Pollock. Yeah. That's the one. And and sorry, I there's three authors. Michael V. Pollock. So okay, so you would. This is a, a ten out of ten. And what would you give this? Uh, oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting because, so I've recommended this to a lot of uh, expat friends that have kids, mm. you know, between the ages of six and 12. I mean, I think it's good to read at any age. I told my mother to read it insistently. Um, but I just, I think it's, I think it's great if you're in the experience or you have kids in the experience. I would recommend it to other people, but it's one of those things where, you know, I find it interesting because it's my life, but... Mm. I don't know if someone else would necessarily, mm. um, but they do, you know, in the kind of first few chapters, they say, 
this type of global citizen and third culture kid, you know, not having one home is like the citizen of the future. So everyone should be aware of the struggles and the challenges and the kind of stages of moving around. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm glad you uh, brought that up because I, I, I somehow got back onto the point I, I wanted to make, which was, I know you're a young person and you're probably not having kids tomorrow mm -hmm. uh, or, uh, or this year or next year, but you know, is, is that an experience that you would uh, very much want for your own kids? And I, I guess if that is the case, what advice would you give them? I don't think I'm having kids, but if I did, <laughs> I've seen what it was like to have kids. I'm good. Um, I think a big thing, which maybe wasn't more apparent 10 years ago, or even now to some people, I don't think it's anything to do with time, is that the, the book talks about something called unresolved grief, which is you have so many losses so regularly, so early in your life. So, you know, aside from the identity thing, it's, you know, they're not losses in the way where someone's died. You're not allowed to have a funeral for the fact that you moved country. But if you're not given enough time to actually mourn everything, because you have lost your entire life, you've set up your whole life in one place and after three, four years, you have to leave it. And I think, the automatic response for most parents is, oh, kids are resilient, they'll bounce back, when I actually think the opposite is true. I think, you know, kids are sponges and they're absorbing everything around them and they're learning about themselves and who they are in relation to other people. So I think rather than treating it as a kind of like, no, you fell over, but it'll heal because you're a kid. I think it's a lot more like, no, 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 something big has happened. Um, you need to recognize it and address it and, you know, talk it through or deal with it how you would deal any other loss because it's, it's as big. Well, you know what? You, you say you're not going to have kids, but, you know, you're, <laughs> so that's some natural parenting uh, advice right there. Yeah, so, I've been told go. that. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, this has been a great conversation about uh, the future of global citizens and it's been a real pleasure um, I think um, yeah that, that sort of that, did you have any final thoughts on um, the future yeah, of being a global citizen and, um, no I think it'll become more commonplace it's just I, I like that you know books like this are being released that it's more common knowledge because um, obviously when I was growing up, I don't, I don't really know if it was or wasn't, but um, I like that it's a conversation now that people are having. That's good. Excellent. Well, we'll end it there. Um, you've been listening to the future. Uh, sorry. No, you haven't. You've been listening to the future of. And the topic today has been uh, the future of global citizens. Uh, I've been speaking with Shani Kotecha, who I work clo closely with uh, at MindMeld PR, and she is our content specialist and um, a number of other things. So we may have to revisit your job title at some point because you do so many things now. Um, and um, how would uh, how would people find you if if you if they wanted to look you up online? Uh, 
uh, and learn more about your experiences. So I am the only Shani Kotecha on most platforms, which is makes it 10 times easier. So on Instagram or LinkedIn, I'm Shani Kotecha on both of those. Excellent. Shani, thank you very much thank for you. this wonderful conversation. And I'm sure we'll do this again sometime. Okay. Thank you.